Tonight's reading is from Daniel chapter 11, beginning at verse 21. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him, both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully, and with only a few people he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute plunder, loot, and wealth among his followers. He will plot the overthrow of fortresses, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away, and many will fall in battle. The two kings, with their hearts bent on evil, will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the holy covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the holy covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many. Though for a time they will fall by the sword, or be burned, or captured, or plundered, when they fall, they will receive a little help, and many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. We continue at chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, 
one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will be the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be a 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. This is God's word. We want to thank and praise you, Almighty God, for you're a good Father. You're a Father who knows what we need much better than we do. And we need these chapters. We need them to prepare us. We may well need them here and now, imminently in our lives. But you're a good Father who gives us what we need to help us understand them rightly, even though at first glance they may seem very distant from us. But you are living and active, and your spirit will bring your words to us this evening. Please do that. Give us life once again in your son, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just be honest, when you come to look at a passage such as this, if you expect your life to go from one degree of glory to the next, or one degree of comfort, perhaps better, one degree of comfort to the next, Well, I don't think you'll like these chapters, if that's what you're after. If you expect the church in the United Kingdom to to grow endlessly for one revival, to go to the next revival, uh, I don't think you'll like these chapters. And if you expect the living God to um, insulate his people from harm, from suffering then you won't like these chapters in the book of Daniel. Just just be realistic about that as we begin. But if you you believe Jesus Christ, and in particular if you believe him when he says that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If you believe that he said that, that actually at times living the Christian life is hard, involves self-denial, involves taking up a cross of suffering. Well, then when we understand them, you'll love these chapters of the book of Daniel. We had read uh, right at the beginning, John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus put it this way to his disciples, I've told you these things of hardship in advance. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And I don't think that's a bad summary for the chapters of Daniel 11 and 12 where this vision is given to Daniel to essentially say, you know what, Daniel, you and God's people, 
in this world you will have trouble. But do not fear, take heart, I've overcome the world and I'll take you with me into eternity. That's not a bad summary of what's going on. We often reflect that our desire as a church would be um, to live now for eternity, to have our lives now shaped by what's to come. And these are chapters that would push us very much in that sort of direction. If you're joining us tonight, uh, at the end of whatever three months in the book of Daniel, uh, what you need to know really about Daniel is that the Lord reigns. That's the story of it all, be it the, uh, the, the narrative chapters, Daniel in the Lion's Den, the famous sort of thing, or the vision chapters in the second half of the book, chapters 7 to 12. The Lord reigns. It's the consistent message. And we said last week, chapters 10 to 12, it's all one vision, really. You get a sort of introduction to the vision we saw last time. So um, chapter 10 is the introduction. Chapter 11, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 4, is the vision itself. And then the last little section, uh, verses 5 to 13, are instructions following the vision. And we said last time, these chapters are given to us so that, or no, given to us because God is passionate about his people and does want to prepare them for the very worst. And what you see in these chapters, particularly in the middle section, is the very worst. And he wants to prepare his people for that. He is the Lord. He rules over eternity. He has a plan for this world. And so we'll see, we said it last time, but the application really of the whole of chapters 10 to 12 comes near the end. Chapter 12, verse 9. Go your way, Daniel. Or verse 13, go your way till the end. Which we might say in English idiom, crack on, keep going. Don't be disturbed. Or no, be ready and just carry on doing the things you've done before, Daniel, despite the horrors that may come. Now, we said last time, uh, Daniel is given this vision, and um, we're told back in chapter 10, verse 1, he's given this vision, it's around about the year 538 BC. He is in exile in Babylon, as God's people have been for just over 70 years. But the previous year, a number of God's people had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, and they cleared the rubble from the temple, they'd relayed the, uh, the foundations of the temple, they'd start, started offering sacrifices in the temple. But then hostility, persecution came upon them, and so all building of the temple uh, stopped. We said for 15 years until the uh, prophet Haggai comes along, preaches off, they go again. So it's a demoralizing time. And no doubt Daniel, in his late 80s by this point, looks upon what's happening in his home city of Jerusalem and thinks, oh, oh, that we're finally getting somewhere now. Nothing's happening at all. And Daniel is being warned here, essentially in these chapters. Okay, Daniel, here's the news for you. It's going bad in Jerusalem. Here's the news that's going to cheer you up, okay? Frustration and hardship is normal and will be an ongoing feature of this world. Brilliant. But go your way. Go on your way. Chapter 11. We have, what we have in chapter 11, we didn't have it at all read, is exceptional detail of what would take place around 350, 400 years later by the end of the vision. A prediction given to um, Daniel in around about 538 BC that takes in the next almost 400 years of history. It is exceptionally detailed. 
And um, if you don't like history, shame on you. Uh, but we're not going to go through every single one of the details. If you do want to chase through the details, um, we wrote up these sheets, again, on the welcome table, which just show you how the, all the different verses in chapter 11 corresponds to real events that we know about in history. And the correspondence is exceptional. This prophecy given hundreds of years in advance. But let me um, try and break it down. There are three major sort of historical sections to the vision, and we'll apply it as we go along. Okay, so 2 to 20 uh, is 1, 21 to 35, 36 to 12, 4 is the final uh, major section. Let's work through them. Verses 2 to 20 of chapter 11, what you have are the warring kings who buffet the church. Okay? Warring kings who buffet the church. Now, we didn't have all of this read. Let me just read the first couple of verses, uh, chapter 11, verse 2. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all the others. Okay, very rapidly, we've gone from around 538 BC to the fourth king, Xerxes I. He was the husband of Esther. You know, the book of Esther, Xerxes I had this sort of beauty contest, married Esther, that's who it was. Uh, the most successful of the Persian kings in conquering land, but then he met a load of Greeks and they beat him up, and um, you can read all about that. He stirred up rebellion against the kingdom of Greece, okay? Then we jump on a number of years in history to around about uh, 330-odd, and uh, verse 3, a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. Alexander the Great. It's pretty obviously who that is. You know, the one of whom it's spoken When he saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more worlds to conquer. Did he? I don't know. But it's a great line, isn't it? Uh, You know, I've just, you know, can you imagine, I don't know, a tennis player, Andy Murray, just weeping because he's won everything and there's nothing more to win. Yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, That's Alexander the Great. He dies of a fever in 323 BC. Uh, Verse 4, his empire gets split between four of his generals. And then verses 5 to 20 focus on two of those generals and the kingdoms that come from them. And this is a sort of bash of these two kingdoms. Uh, the Seleucid dynasty in the north, just north of Israel, Syria, that's lazy. Uh, and then the Ptolemies uh, um, uh, in the south, to the south of Israel, Egypt, that's very lazy as well. But that's sort of geographical, if that sort of helps you, that's not helping at all. No one knows what I'm doing, do they? But these two kingdoms, north and south of Palestine, where God's people were. And what you have in verses 5 to 20 is a description of the the actual history. These two kings going at one another, and God's people just stuck in the middle. It's not persecution. Neither of these kings in particular goes after God's people. They're just buffeted by being in the middle of this regional conflict. That what takes, that's what's taking place. And of course you'd get that today. There are spots in the world where Christians wouldn't be particularly persecuted, but they're just buffeted. I mean, so the Christians in Egypt at the moment, it's uncertain what will happen, but if you're God's people in Egypt, you're buffeted by the events all around. We see that taking place. Now, two little things to take away from this uh, section, uh, I guess. Well, I say we're not reading it all, but two little things. Uh, one, no detail is too small. And the second, we've said it before, but kingdoms rise and fall. Just that no detail is too small. Now, in one sense, it would be good to go through every little detail of uh, chapter 11. Just to make that point, God 
superintends the details. Uh, John Calvin, uh, the great reformer, when he wrote his commentary on, on Daniel, it is quite fat, 40 pages he spends on chapter 11. I'll be honest with you, I love you, I try my best for you, I didn't read all 40 pages of Calvin on chapter 11. But he knew that the details really, really matter. So just one little example, perhaps in the middle there, of um, verse 6. After some years, they will become allies. That's the king of the north and the king of the south. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance. She will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. Okay, what's all that about? Well, we know that, that um, uh, King Ptolemy II in the south, he sent his daughter Berenice to to marry Antiochus II in the north. We know that. Antiochus thought, okay, we can have peace. He divorced his wife and married the younger uh, Berenice. Divorced wife, didn't like it, poisoned him, poisoned her, and uh, her brother-in-law comes in. Just all the details, they just fit. No detail is too small. And that is timelessly true. It's not just that the Lord is sovereign at the big picture level, but in the details. It's not just that, choose your example, that the Lord decided that, I don't know, the Conservative Party would be the largest party in 2010, David Cameron will be Prime Minister, but that where he'd go on holiday, precisely. And the dates of that. He knows the details as well. And your life too. Because let's be honest, in the UK, if you're a Christian or not, but if you're a Christian, it's not that we feel intense persecution, that would be a silly thing to say, but we're just buffeted by events. You know, many here will be buffeted by an economic downturn buffeted by, I know, your company being taken over by another company and the job scenario being very uncertain. It's not persecution, we're just buffeted by the events of the world and that's what's being described here. No detail is too small. The Lord cares about the details of global history, of your life and mine. No detail too small. But then the familiar point, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. What we've, gone, what we've done here is gone through, uh, in verses, well, certainly uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 2 to verse 20, we've gone through 350 years in 18 verses. Uh, we've gone through it pretty quickly. And what's the point? Kings come, kings go. And that's it. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Don't be too impressed by the kingdoms of this world. I read a couple of weeks ago uh, a biography of um, Joseph Stalin. Uh, 1931, I, this kind of tickled me, 1931, Joseph Stalin, he looked out the window of the Kremlin and uh, he saw this, to his mind, monstrosity right in the heart of Moscow, the Church of Christ the Saviour, big, vast, cathedral-type thing, and decided, as he could do as a dictator, that is an offence, them and their weak Dying God is an offence to communism, and so over the course of six months it was blown to bits, raised to the ground, and this vast outdoor Lido uh, was built, which is kind of nice for the people, although in Moscow in the winter, not so sure about that, um, but there's, and you can see footage of it online, etc. Uh, the church gone, this built, of course, communism falls in the Soviet Union, 
And so in the year 2000, the Church of Christ the Saviour was rebuilt and reopened. And you think, yeah, that's right. It was just a little shadow of history. You can knock a church down. The Lord is sovereign. He will raise his people. Kings and empires look so powerful when they have their place in the sun. The kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Trust the Lord. So that's the buffeting, uh, warring kings who buffet the church. That's the first uh, chunk of this uh, prophecy. Then in verses 21 to 35, you get the second chunk, and it's one man, the king who persecutes the church, verses 21 to 35. The king who persecutes the church. So this is all about, we've heard him referenced in uh, chapter 8, if you hear when Richard took us through that, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, that's a mouthful, let's just call him Antony or Anti, um, Anti will do, Anti IV, uh, he's the king. And as I said, we've just had 18 verses taking us through 350 years of history. Now we have here 15 verses giving us 11 years. So where was the rule? We've had the very, 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 very quick overview of a lot of history. Now we slow right down for this one man who is, let's be honest, peripheral. No one learns about him at school. Everyone hears of Alexander the Great. But he is significant because his rule caused turmoil for God's people. And therefore it matters to the Lord. And that's why he gets so much airtime in the Bible. This is not just in these verses the church being buffeted by global affairs. This is one man, Anti, who goes for God's people and persecutes them. So you see it a number of times. He attacks the people of the covenant. So verse 22, an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. Uh, Verse 28 uh, king of the North will return to his own country with great wealth. The king of the North, that's anti. But his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. And he will take action against it, then return to his own country. Whenever he goes anywhere near God's people, he gives them a kick and uh, steals anything they've got. Always goes for them. Verse 29. At the appointed time, he, and uh, anti, will invade the South again, Egypt. But this time, the outcome will be different from what, is, what happened before. Ships of the Western Coastlands, that's Rome, Pizza, country, um, that's Rome, will oppose him and he'll lose heart. So what will he do? Well, he'll do what every bully does when someone stands up to him. He'll go and find a weaker victim and pick on him. So uh, verse 30, then he'll turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant, God's people again. And in particular, verse 31, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. Well, these are the events of 168 BC, when uh, Antony had gone to invade Egypt, got turned back from the Romans, a bit grumpy about that, and so goes and causes a real stink in Jerusalem. So what does that mean? He set up the abomination that causes desolation. Well, you can read in the history books, he went into the temple, the heart, the center of the worship of God's people at the time, erected a a statue to Zeus, and in the temple, sacrificed swine, pigs, on a little altar. So completely offensive to the Jewish mindset. 
horrifically so. Now, there's a sense in which this man, Anti, he becomes then a paradigm of evil in the Bible. I guess if you're an Israelite at the time, he's a Hitler-like figure. You know how we very, uh, certainly in this country, in the UK, we very lazily use that as a, uh, as a label for someone who's evil. Oh, he's a, he's a Hitler-like dictator. That is a wicked sort of man, is what we mean by that. It's a bit lazy, a bit bland, but we often use that sort of description. Well, back then, Antiochus Epiphanes, he's the paradigm of wickedness and brutality and offense against God's people. Also, you see in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, tells his disciples, Matthew 24, 15, you will see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. What? What are you talking about? Jesus, that was 168 BC. We all know that, what Daniel was talking about. And Jesus is talking about something in the future, 70 AD, when once again the temple is desecrated. The uh, Roman general Titus comes in and desecrates it. So it just becomes a paradigm for evil. He's the king who persecutes the church. Now, two little things um, <clears throat> to note as we move on through. Two little things. All this happens at the appointed time is the first. It's the constant little time marker. So verse 24, he will plot the overthrow of fortresses only for a time. Verse 27, all these kings will battle, end of the verse. An end will still come at the appointed time. Verse 29, at the appointed time, he will invade. Verse 35, there'll be an end. The end will still come at the appointed time. So the Lord is saying here, look, there will be periods of suffering, not just being buffeted by the world, but when you're persecuted directly, someone comes after you. You just need to know, I've appointed how long that will be. And it cannot begin a day earlier than I desire. It cannot go a day longer than I desire. I've appointed the time. And we need to know that. Uh, back then, Antiochus Epiphanes, 164 was the year that he died. So a mere four years after this horror in Jerusalem and he brutalized and killed many as well as this sort of desecration, just four years later he was dead. Just a little while. But you and I need to know, whatever we may endure, particularly if there's hostility, just a little while, says the Lord. We've got a, um, a baby in our house uh, this year for the first time in about eight years and you kind of forget what that's like and you forget the sleepless nights, and you forget the clearing up vomits at 3 a.m. in the morning. You forget all those things, and that's good that the brain makes you forget. Um, but you go through these things and think, golly, I'm tired. I'm eight years older than I was eight years ago, and uh, I haven't quite got the energy for this. And so, of course, what I do, I have to remind myself of something I've trotted out blandly to people. No, it's been well-intentioned. But now it really matters to hear. But I say to myself, it's just for a little while. This will pass. She will sleep. It will be nice. Just a little while. It's not long. 
two years walking, sat at the table, can express what's wrong rather than just wail. Just a little while. That's all it is. This phase will pass. So all this happens at the appointed time. Uh, And second little thing here. There'll be two responses when persecution comes. Verses 32 to 35. Two responses. Do you see the two responses to the persecution? It was true then. It'll be true for us now. So verse 32. Here's the first response. With flattery, he'll corrupt those who violated the covenant. That's the first response. Second response. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Just pause on those two briefly. First response then. Some will be corrupted by flattery. You just see that. So at the moment in the UK, it is a bit sad when... Um, uh, biblical positions on uh, perhaps marriage um, and church leadership are being undermined. In one sense, you expect those sort of things to happen. But the sad thing is when those who call themselves evangelical, who, who claim to know the Lord and uh, trust his word, will say, we mustn't make a fuss about these things. If we're, if we're wise... We may get some buildings in the future. Things may go well. We don't want to upset the apple cart. Just just be quiet and uh, let's see what happens. Don't make a fuss. And at some point you think, well, I I wonder if you're corrupted by flattery. Corrupted by just what may be on offer. Or perhaps closer to home. Uh, Many here would have had the conversation at work that goes something like... Uh, you could have a great future here. We like you. Your face fits. We just need you to be available. And if you make yourself available 24-7, if you, if you give us three years of your life, we'll give you the world. As uh, uh, someone who comes in the morning was told that a couple of months ago, just give me three years of your life. I'll give you the world. I mean, he sort of politely sort of... Of course, in his head he thought, I'm not sure it's yours to give, but anyway. We have those sort of conversations. Or perhaps, um, we like you. You could have a great future here. Do you know what just one or two have commented? You, you, you make it very obvious you're a Christian. And that makes one or two uncomfortable. Let's just keep our faith at home where it belongs, shall we? Because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. You could have a great future here. Just don't make people uncomfortable with what you believe. And you could go far. It's not difficult to be corrupted by flattery. So that's the first response. The second response, uh, again in verse 32, those who know their God will firmly resist him, the persecutor. They're the heroes. Those who know their God. You have to know the truths of Daniel. You have to know the truths that the Lord reigns. If you think that God is some sort of fairy godfather who just sprinkles happiness and success dust over your life, if you come and sing to him, you're going to be disappointed. And you'll give up when things get hard. But those who endure are those who know their God. And beyond that, uh, verse 33, those who are wise will instruct many. Though for a time they'll fall by the sword, 
or be burned, or captured, or plundered. The heroes are those who teach others that the Lord reigns. You know, if someone tells you, look, I'm having a really hard time at work for being a Christian, you know that the Lord reigns. He has a plan for history. He has a plan for your life. Trust him. Trust him. Just those little conversations, they're heroic. They're the wise ones, uh, according to Daniel. Uh, reading it, I did read some of uh, this uh, commentary then that John Calvin wrote uh, almost 500 years ago. Uh, if you know anything about his life, the great reformer, he's based in Geneva. He was a Frenchman. He cared deeply about his homeland, France. And so in the 1550s, trained uh, dozens and dozens of ministers to go back to France because the Christians there, or the Protestants, were being wildly persecuted under the Roman Catholic Henry II. Many, many were dying. So he would train ministers to go back to France. And the book of Daniel was his key training manual in that period. He would go through it at some length with them to make sure they'd got this book of Daniel and got the sense that at times God's people will really suffer and be persecuted just for a little while. Because in the 1550s, he sent over a 100 ministers into France, and the average life expectancy was six months. And if you're going to do anything like that, you need to know, the Lord reigns. It'll be hard for a while. Many who trust him will stumble and fall. Or in the language here, Verse 33, they'll fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. That's precisely what was happening. Six months. Who wants to go to theological college? And you know in six months, when you go, you'll die. You've got to know this, says Daniel. You need to be prepared. You need to know your God. Actually, just tangential. No, not tangential. Just far, 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 far milder for you and for me. Verse 33, those who are wise will instruct many. How much of the conversation that you and I enjoy at church is wise? And how much is wasted? Probably in that sense. We need wise conversation with one another. Okay, so you've got the warring kings, 2 to 20, who buffet the church. Here you've got uh, verses 21 to 35, the king who persecutes the church. Uh, lastly, briefly, you have the king who precedes the vindication of the church. That's a very long one. Verses 36 uh, all the way through to chapter 12, verse 4. This is a different character. The NIV gets it right. The king who exalts himself. Uh, verse 40, we're talking about the time of the end of the world, so it seems, something like that. This cannot be Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth because it just doesn't match his life, the details here. So who have we got? Well, two little things. What you've got here is the successful reign of the Antichrist. Oh my goodness. Um, briefly, the language used here is almost identical to that that Paul uses in the New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about an Antichrist who will come. So this seems to be talking about a period of unparalleled distress just before Jesus returns and wraps up this world and remakes it. That's what seems to be spoken about. We won't go into the details. But secondly, what is worth noticing is there are two destinations at the end of time. 
Let me read chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Actually, this, I think, is the clearest reference in the Old Testament to the double resurrection, that at the end of time, everyone is raised and stands before Jesus Christ as judge. And there are two destinations. For those who've trusted in Jesus Christ, it's resurrection to everlasting life. For those who've rejected him, it's resurrection to everlasting contempt and shame. You get a special mention in verse 3. Those who lead many to righteousness get some kind of special reward. They shine like the stars in particular forever and ever. They're sort of picked out. So in one sense, of course, that's right. Special mention. Because if, a, if there's a culture which uh, persecutes you, could kill you for sharing the gospel, or belittles you, or mocks you, I mean, it's milder, isn't it? But to, to seek to share the Christian message with people in a culture which is completely hostile, Daniel says, well done. Well done. The Lord knows it's hard. And the Lord knows it's harder in the year 2013 than it was in the year 1973 to talk about the Christian gospel in the UK. People will mock you more. He knows. Of course he knows. And those who share in this sort of context and those who lead many to righteousness, well, the Lord will reward you. Be encouraged. He knows what you're doing. There's a special reward. Prophecy ends, chapter 12, verse 4. And then you get these concluding verses. Uh, there's two angels, one on either bank, and uh, there's the uh, the man who's presented the vision. I suggested last week it's uh, uh, a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ. Anyway, we won't go into the details. But what stands out here, there are two questions when you get to the end of this section. The first is simply this, verse 6. How long? How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? How long this sort of hardship? And how long until the end of the world? Ah, well, that's very straightforward. Uh, Verse 7, it will be for time, times, and half a time. Brilliant. It'll be for three and a half. Okay. Well, probably that's half of seven, which earlier in the book of Daniel is completion. And so again, I think three and a half just means it's not complete, it's just a little while. I think is what it means. Uh, not certain. You get two other answers in verse 11 and verse 12. How long will it be? Uh, end of verse 11, it'll be 1,290 days. Uh, verse 12, 1,335 days. Um, you get bidding, you, you know, you, you carry, you've forgotten your leap years. What's, uh, what's going on with it? I think the point is they're all roughly three and a half years. And so Daniel is being told the time is limited, but only God knows the detail. Trust him. Don't get your wacky calendars out and declare the end of the world because you've done some ridiculous equation that adds up to somehow 1,335 and 1,290 at the same time. Don't do that. Roughly, I'm telling you as the Lord, it's limited, 
but I've numbered the days. But you don't know that. Trust me. Trust me. What do we do? Or as it's expressed in verse 8, here's the second and last question. I heard, but I did not understand. Well, join the club. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? Or, okay, so what? So what? What do I do with all this information? Verse 9. Go your way, Daniel. Verse 10. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined. The wicked will continue to be wicked. Verse 13. As for you, go your way till the end. You'll rest, and then at the end of your days, you'll rise to receive your allotted inheritance. What are we meant to do with this vision? I'll crack on. Just keep doing the things you've always been doing as Christians. Just remember it, that at times it's hard. Don't expect the fairy godfather to sprinkle success dust over your life. Personally, there are hard times. In history, there'll be hard times. Just go your way. Keep trusting him. Because... Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 3, everlasting is a long time. It's a very long time. I think only once in my life I've overheard someone preach on Daniel 11 and 12. I can't remember anything of what they said. I wish I'd taken notes. All I remember is they said this at the end, so let me pass it on to you. Imagine in space, there's a massive lump of marble, and it's a million miles wide, and it's a million miles high, And it's a million miles deep. And once every million years, a little bird flies up to this block of marble and sharpens its beak and flies away. And a million years later, it comes back and does it again and again and again. How long would it take for that one bird to wear away that block of marble? A long time. And when that block of marble is gone, eternity's just going. It's only just begun. Everlasting glory, everlasting shame. It's a long time. So keep going. Go your way. Trust the Lord. Keep going in the Christian faith. It'll be worth it, he says. Let me lead us in prayer together. Uh, Father, you give us these uh, strange, vivid sections of the Bible. You give us these prophecies hundreds of years in advance to show the, the truth of your claims. You give us these visions so that we may rightly know what to expect in your world. So, Father, help us to hear it rightly. Would we be those who trust you? And, Father, uh, you know well the secrets of our hearts and uh, in this room those who don't yet trust you, those who are struggling to do so, would we recognize that you are the Lord over history? You are moving it towards a purpose. Would we trust you, knowing that this life is a short time, it's just a little while, it'll pass, but eternity is 
forever. So would we be those who live now with eternity in view, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.